Welcome to the State Journal Register podcast. Uh, I'm Jason Neville. I'm the uh, education reporter for the State Journal Register, among many things. I'm also the, the cops reporter, the courts reporter, the lost dog reporter, the uh, reporter who talks to grieving families. But today I'm going to focus uh, a little bit on education. And this is something that uh, I'm going to try to do uh, fairly regularly, maybe uh, once a month, uh, if not uh, more frequently. Uh, I like to have on uh, different guests with uh, superintendents uh, from the area. Maybe we can have some education folks. It would be nice to have some teachers uh, as well uh, and learn a little bit more, little, learn more about uh, their craft. But today, uh, for the first podcast, I invited uh, Auburn Superintendent uh, Darren Root uh, to the State Journal Register office uh, here at Ninth and Capitol. Uh, Darren, you actually lucked out. Uh, it's been pretty hot up here lately, but luckily the weather's cooled down, so hopefully <laughs> we don't yeah. get... Uh, Hopefully it stays pleasant in here and we can have a good conversation. It's a nice day today, Jason. I first want to thank you for having me up here. Um, you got a nice office here, a beautiful place, and uh, with the recent issues that have come about, you've become very educated uh, on the issues, and it's, it's really nice to be able to have these conversations. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's start out. Uh, Friday, uh, you had a visitor in your district, uh, Governor Bruce Rauner. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell, share a little bit of how uh, that comes about. Does the governor's people call you and say, hey, we'd like to come to Auburn? Can you kind of share a little bit of that backstory? Sure. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, Representative Sarah Wojcicki-Amenez um, and Representative Avery Bourne um, and several of the legislators, you know, you keep close contact with them and they, they call once in a while and ask questions to become educated on bills that they're to vote on, and and I rely on them quite a bit to find out uh, what's going to happen down the road or what a certain bill or new law means, and so you start to develop these uh, these close professional relationships um, with these people. So I had received a call um, from Sarah Wojcicki Jimenez, um, and she talked to me a little bit about uh, Senate Bill One and where we were with that. Um, actually, we got in a conference call with uh, Beth Purvis, who's the Secretary of Education, and um, we discussed exactly what the issues were in our area, in Auburn, the things that we've struggled with. And uh, shortly after that, I got a phone call from the governor's office asking if uh, the governor can hold a press conference in Auburn. And uh, you don't turn the governor down. So this is the second time that uh, Governor Bruce Rauner has been to Auburn, been to our school, and has talked to the press about uh, the issues there. And uh, it's always a pleasure to, ho to host uh, the governor. So absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you know, and I, I listened to the audio uh, and your remarks. And it's sort of an interesting time now for superintendents. And I sort of got the impression from what you said that there's sort of these two bills out there. There's Jason Barrickman's bill uh, and there's Andy Menard's bill. Uh, your message was that they need to send a bill to the uh, to the governor's desk. Did you kind of intentionally stop short of trying to endorse sort of one bill or the other? Yeah, it's really not my place. You know, you get into this as a superintendent, and we're not elected officials. We're not politicians, mm -hmm. and uh, we don't want to pretend to be. But in, in this climate, it's very difficult to stay up on the matter and um, stay in contact with the politicians uh, to voice uh, your, your opinions and to voice the situation of your school district and not be involved in, in the political aspect. So I'm, I can't really endorse one or the other. They've, they've changed quite a bit. There's been many that have been put on the table. It's quite honestly, it's hard to keep up with all of the different uh, 
proposals and the bills that have been put out there to solve this this problem with uh, funding education. So um, I don't want to necessarily call a bill by a politician or Republican or Democrat. What I need to do is to focus on what I can do for my students at my school district to make sure that uh, the resources are there so that this adult problem doesn't turn into a kid problem and that those uh, the children are provided for. I was interested though too but there could be a perception issue by you know you're, you're at a press conference with the governor uh, I was wondering if you've heard uh, any feedback from that uh, if people just watch it they see Bruce Rauner is uh, in Auburn with mm -hmm. Darren Root there could be a perception that you're taking a side, taking the governor. Have you? Do you feel like that? there's any truth to that, or have you heard any of that? No, because there's no conversation with the governor's office in terms of what the topic's going to be. Mm -hmm. I did not know that he was going to ask for uh, a special session. I did not know that his pitch was to bring Senate Bill 1 back to the desk. Uh, I did not know that. What I want is a resolution. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't collaborate. All four of us spoke, uh, Representative Bourne, Representative Jimenez, and the governor and I. We all spoke for a short time. None of us collaborated any sort of speech. Um, and I think that's really important to note. It's not like, you know, we, we necessarily always agree, you know. The votes sometimes uh, are, are against, you know, across lines. And, and, and again, you know, it's not my place to, to say, it's my place to say I want a, a resolution. Yeah. I, want, I want there to be something that uh, makes it to the governor's desk, whether he does this amendatory veto, whether he signs it. You know, the problem with this is with all the school districts across the state, you've got winners and you've got losers, and they look at the bottom line. And uh, with Senate Bill 1, supposedly Auburn is supposed to gain an additional $478,398 above what we got last year. But you got to remember that we were shorted $664,000. So even though a lot of school districts may call us a winner under Senate Bill 1, I don't. Mm -hmm. Because we're still, the, the foundation level, which is um, the formula within general state aid, has been frozen at 6119 for nearly a decade now. And you know, under Senate Bill 1, that changes it going forward. And, uh, you know, now there's a there's another plan out there, House Bill 1124, my understanding is, that Auburn becomes a $686,000 winner. Well, again, does that make us a winner? We've been a loser for <laughs> the past, you know, four, five, six years, actually a decade going back. Um, in, uh, in, in general state aid, and I don't know if the general public understands, you know, when they say fully funded, it's not necessarily fully funded. And as you know, Jason, you know, at first what happened was the fiscal year ends July 30th. And the, the state of Illinois would make late payments in June. We're looking back now several years. And those payments that would come in July, the new fiscal year, the June payment never came. So if you remember, schools around the state started putting on their mar marquee, the state owes us so much money. Mm -hmm. Well, that became a difficult thing for legislators to swallow. So the foundation level then froze, which was hidden. A lot of people didn't understand what that meant, and it was more difficult to calculate how much exactly the state owes you. Um, and then you had this idea of proration. Means, you know, we're, we're only going to pay, you know, a certain percentage, maybe 70% of what we owe you on an old foundation level, and your payments are going to be late. 
So there were three ways we were shorted. And this past year, they called this fully funded by saying we're going to pay those bills and we're not going to prorate them anymore. But the foundation level stayed the same. And uh, the payments for categoricals, which is transportation and, and special ed and different things like that, those didn't come through. So there's this misperception out there exactly. And so it's not my place to really say how we're going to get funded or what party endorses which bill. But it is my place to say my kids need to be taken care of. Yeah. Do you feel like superintendents are being forced kind of now more than ever? I know there's a lot of uh, education advocacy groups that are uh, asking superintendents to uh, go to the Capitol, do press conferences. Is it sort of a weird position? Uh, you know, you don't <laughs> you, you get you become a superintendent because you're you know, you're interested in education and helping mm -hmm. kids. And now there's this sort of political element to it as well. Has, has this, is this a new thing? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily a new thing. I think it's more prevalent now because we're tackling issues that we haven't had to before. And, and actually, the politics for a superintendent should be on the local level. We're elected by seven political ele politically elected people. Mm -hmm. We ourselves are not elected. So when you get thrown into this formula, yeah, there's this, there's this element. And there is this piece that you have to communicate with your legislators. And they... They, uh, they want your opinion, and they want, you know, what side of the issue are you on. And uh, so, so, yeah, you, you do, if you're not careful, you get sucked in. And then you've got um, a different superintendents with different school districts that have like needs. And so when you communicate with those people and, and you know, they email back and forth, you may find yourself losing sight of your own district to try to stand for some state cause. And that, that's really not the place for superintendent. Tomorrow is uh, a critical day. I don't know if anything's going to get resolved tomorrow. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Governor Rauner has called uh, lawmakers back in for a special session uh, beginning tomorrow. Uh, we'll start big picture. Uh, any idea what happens uh, starting tomorrow and kind of moving forward with this special session? Well, you know, I really don't know, and I don't have, have a whole lot of insight to that. I just know that in, in Senate Bill 1, um, one of the reason why this is a uh, such a sticky issue is because at the last minute there was a change that was made, mm -hmm. and uh, you know this this equitable funding across the state is now in question because there's some additional funding that's going up to Chicago, and that's the difference in the money that would come downstate, and so it's hard not to not to say you know that you would endorse one or the other or what's fair or what's not fair. But um, and I can't speak on, the ha on behalf of any other politician, but uh, what's been voiced to me is that the governor wants it put back into committee to take this piece out so that he would sign it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that would bring more money, of course, to my district. So it's hard for me to say you know, that I would be in favor of this or be in favor of that. I just want to be funded. Mm-hmm. How are you going about uh, doing this as a superintendent? Do you are you guys starting to prepare for these sort of doomsday scenarios? I mean, it, it, it is it's it's hard to imagine schools, public schools in Illinois, not being open. So what uh, you uh, responded uh, to a story, uh, an email that I had uh, to you about kind of what what you'd be doing. Uh, what would happen if state funding uh, doesn't come through? But are you guys starting to hash out different scenarios or different ways of how you could extend the uh, 
keep the doors open as long as possible? Well, I think that's a great question because there's this perception out there that there's this magic pixie dust in terms of (laughs) how we can survive. But it's a basic math. There's only really two ways that we get revenue. One is from the local taxpayers. And that's different from every state or from from every school district, depending on your, your property values. And whatever we can't make up is given to the state. Auburn is very dependent on the state. About mm-hmm. half of our revenue comes from the local taxpayers and the other half comes from general state aid. So if you are from a, from a, a district with a larger tax base, you're not as dependent. And so in order to prepare, um, the, the, the question I think is, is, is pretty important to realize that you can't just have a bake sale to produce more revenue to prepare. You have, to, you have to do expenditure solutions, which means you have to run things efficiently and more efficiently than ever before. You know, if that means cutting staff, increasing class sizes, um, and it's a difficult time to start doing those things. And I, I also feel that if you haven't been running things efficiently in the first place, then you got another problem. So to take a revenue problem and try to solve it with expenditure solutions and to make make cuts with things that you now have to prioritize into what's important to kids, that's a tough community decision to do. Um, the other thing that, that school districts might have the ability to do is to sell bonds. That depends on what your, um, your ability is to go into debt. Every school has a different limit. I think back in 1996 when Sangamon County went under tax caps, all the different school districts had a different amount of debt that was out. Well, they were frozen at that. It's like a limit on a credit card. So some school districts didn't have any debt in 96 and have no ability to borrow money, and others do. And the only way you can raise that is through a referendum. Now, our debt uh, limit um, a few years ago was only $136,000 payments per year. So many schools, if they have it that low, they're bonded out. So we passed a referendum to put that up to a million dollar payments per year, which means we could borrow up to about you know, 10 million, depending on how far out you want your loan to be. Well, a couple years ago, we used that uh, authority and did $7.3 million in uh, health life safety, and we improved our roofs and our buildings and our HVAC systems. Well, we still have a little bit of authority, a little bit of wiggle room where I could borrow a million dollars. And uh, that would help us. But you got to remember the million dollars is only going to get me through about three weeks to a month of payments. And I'd have to pay on the the taxpayers in my community would have to pay on that loan for three to five years. So you can't really do that. You know, it's not really a a feasible solution. So to say if there's a doomsday scenario, what would you do in your home? When you're out of money, you quit buying things. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so there's there's really no magic pixie dust to this, and every school district has it a little bit different. Anytime we talk about these things, I always <laughs> look at uh, there's always on you know people who comment online and they go, uh, well, why can't the uh, administrators who make you know high salaries take a pay cut? Uh, why can't you just reduce that? Can you talk, can you sort of address uh, that issue? Is that even like something like legally uh, that a superintendent could do, ask everybody to take like a 5% rate or cut or, or whatever it might be? Um, well, all these, all the salaries, you know, I don't think there's too many people that would argue that uh, teachers get paid too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the other phenomenon that's happening right now is that um, there's such a shortage in people going into education. Mm-hmm. 
and simple supply and demand. We have we have uh, three positions right now that we still don't have film filled. Not because we don't have good applicants. We don't have any applicants. There's zero out there. Um, I have one teacher that uh, that's on a provisional because I have nobody in the state right now that holds the certificate to teach that particular subject. Um, like zero, like you call up somebody and realize they died four years ago. There's nobody out there. So there's a real, there's a real gap there. And, and most of the people that say, okay, so-and-so is getting, you know, paid more than I'm getting paid, you know, then you're always going to have that perception out there, but you have the contracts and you have uh, people with certain educations that are, that are trained to do these sorts of things. And it's just like any other sort of business. And uh, the only difference is when you're talking taxpayers money, you're accountable to everybody. And so, uh, yeah, I think that, that people have the right to chime in and say, you know, um, this is my taxpayer money that's going towards this, but you can't have a service and not pay for it. So, so it's really a tough position to be in. You can't say, well, I want all of these things for my kids, but I'm not gonna pay any taxes to have it. Um, and if you break it down per, uh, per person and what their actual tax bill is, and you look at that, um, it's really a good deal for, for, for people in general. Uh, you can't get daycares for what we get for, for, for having the kids at school 180 days a year. So it's, it's, a, difficult, it's a difficult piece, and everyone's going to chime in and have their opinions on it. And, and yeah, I think that there are some, uh, some people that are paid uh, heavily. Uh, I'm not one of them, <laughs> I don't think. But there are, you know, you go up, and when there's a, a bigger tax base, and uh, that's the choice that that community's made because of the cost of living. Um, yeah, you're going to have that argument. So you said that you guys would be able, uh, I think, to keep your doors open at least several several months. In in what ways? How much of a crisis uh, would this cause if state funding didn't come through? I, you know, if if kids couldn't come to school, their parents probably couldn't at least at the elementary, maybe the middle school age wouldn't, may not be able to go to work or they'd have to find daycare. Mm -hmm. There's just so many different ways, I think. What what are some of the main ones, the problems uh, that you see? Well, first of all, it's a scenario we've never, we've never been there before. We've never crossed that bridge. So it's, um, it's really hard to even imagine Mm -hmm. what, what would happen. And I think that it's so unfathomable that many people can't imagine the bus is not rolling. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I don't know if I can really answer that question. I know that in, in my district, half of our revenue comes from our local taxpayers, and I'm guaranteed that money. Yeah, that gets me through half the year if I don't get another dime from the state. Um, but that's not the plan, and I don't think that anybody in Springfield really wills that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really hard to say. You know, we would probably make. Uh, the, the late night comedy shows, if that happened, I mean, <laughs> I, I just I just don't know how that can be, and it, it, it's my my job to do everything I can to be efficient so that we don't do that. But there's just so much revenue that's there, and and, and it's the, the the politicians in Springfield's job to take on the responsibility to fund these schools, and you just have to have faith that they're going to do their job. Uh, if they don't, and you run out of money, you know, you've got a lot of issues we just haven't crossed yet, and so I, I really don't know how to answer that. When does uh, the school year start in Auburn? Um, our first day with students is the 18th of August. Teachers come the 16th. What year uh, will this be for you as a superintendent? And if you can think back, 
uh, and then how long uh, how long have you been in education? Well, I started in I was a teacher in Pawnee in 1994, and I taught there for nine years, and I was a principal over at Raymond Lincoln, which is south of uh, of Pawnee. I was a junior high high school principal, and then I was fortunate enough to be hired at Auburn in 2005 as a high school principal. And then uh, when when the superintendent Kathy Garrett had retired, um, they hired me internally in, in 2012. So I'll be starting my sixth year as a superintendent at Auburn. I'm very blessed. It's a wonderful community. Um, I've lived there since 1992. And uh, I'm, you know, the, the people there have, have embraced me and I've embraced them. And uh, I have an open door policy and uh, I'm very loyal and very faithful to that community, the great people. Yeah, what are some of the uh, the, the strengths of, uh, of a town like uh, Auburn? It's a smaller district. Uh, what is it, around 1,500 students, a little less, 1,300? About, about 1,300 students, yeah. Okay, and that's and, down uh, yeah, from a we've few been, years ago. Right? We've been losing, uh, like most districts uh, south of I-80, we've been losing enrollment about, uh, well, we've had about 20 kids a year mm -hmm. that, that we've lost enrollment. And I don't think that there's any magic reason why. I think that uh, families are being started later in life and kids are having fewer kids than they used to, you know, the average household. And, and they, I think um, for the first time, a majority of the taxpayers don't even have kids in the school district, which is one reason why you may, may find these arguments being tough to justify uh, funding schools if you don't have children or grandchildren that are, that are there. But uh, Auburn's been a, a, a wonderful community, um, a lot of benefits to having one-on-one -on -one in a smaller school district. Um, you know the parents, um, you, you go to the ball games and you can probably name most people in, in the crowd and, and have nice conversations with them about things that really matter and things that impact their kids. So it's a beautiful place to be, it's a great place to raise kids, um, and we have a lot of wonderful things to offer there. Where did you uh, grow up originally? And I think you, you came from an education household, if I remember. Yeah, um, I grew up in Hampshire, Illinois. That's up by DeKalb. Mm -hmm. And uh, the high school at that time was about 300. Now it's just exploded. Um, I think it's about uh, seven, eight, 900 kids in the high school at least. I'd have to look it up. But uh, west of Chicago, about 45 minutes. And it's all, it's, District 300 is a district that also uh, takes in Carpentersville and Jacobs. I think there were four districts in the high school at the time. And uh, I'm the fourth of six children. And um, both my parents taught. My mom was an English teacher. My dad um, taught PE, coached varsity basketball, and driver's ed teacher as well. Uh, my grandma taught in a one-room schoolhouse. So, and my siblings, of course, um, my oldest sister is a deputy superintendent in Elkhart, Indiana. Uh, I've got another sister who's a science teacher, one that teaches first grade uh, there in Indiana uh, as well. And my brother was a superintendent at Williamsville until this past September 7th. He had passed away. Um, with complications of a neuro neurological uh, disease that he had been fighting. So there's a, there's a lot of um, Christmases getting together, a lot of fun, because mm -hmm. we, we uh, can talk about the same topics and how we can handle those. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was a great childhood, and I think a lot of the things about Auburn remind me of my hometown, which makes it a nice place to live. Yeah, I'd like to take a, kind of take a minute to, to, to remember Dave. And I, I talked to him, uh, you know, quite a bit. He was he was a very interesting, he was charismatic and he always made, you know, for a great great quote. And can you talk a little bit about his sort of philosophy, especially, you know, he he uh, he had suffered this 
paralyzing disease. And he sort of reached this point where he had no problems uh, speaking his mind. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. And uh, But he's been that way since he was a little kid. I think that uh, he got to the point, though, um, with this neurological uh, disease that he had, it was very rare, and, and it's a, it was a spot in the brainstem that was discovered, and it was gradual, progressive, mm-hmm. um, being paralyzed from the neck down, and so every day was tougher than the day before. But he got to the point where he was loyal to his seven board members, and, and he stressed his opinion to everybody else, uh, regardless of what their opinion was, so that he would... Uh, reflect his district in the best light as possible and do what's best for the students in his district. Um, And I respect him for that. He wrote an article, I believe it was in your paper about two years ago, called um, The Guide to Destroying Public Education, and basically went all over the board on how all of the pieces have met for the perfect storm and almost predicting this this terrible uh, scenario that we're in now. Um, and so, you know, I have a lot of respect for him. He's five years younger than I am. He'd remind me of that quite a bit. And it was a tremendous relationship that we had to be in the, in the same line of work and to be able to, um, to come together with ideas and do the best we can on the north side of Segment County and on the south side. Who was the superintendent uh, first? Did, did you sort of uh, pave the way, or was, the, was it your brother? Well, um, I got an education first, and then about five years later, my brother came over to my house, and he said, hey, uh, I just graduated. He graduated from Western Illinois University. Oh, I'm a leatherneck uh, yeah. as well. <laughs> he was very proud. And um, he said, what are the, the school districts in the area? He wanted to come live next to his older brother. And so he taught for... I believe five years, mm-hmm. and uh, became a, a principal, went to Greenview as his first principal job, was there right. two years, and went to Athens for three years, came back to Williamsville as a superintendent five years prior to me being a superintendent. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, he, he uh, I remember one time when I was at, when I was at uh, Raymond Lincolnwood, and he finished his coursework up to be a superintendent, and he sent his... Uh, diploma in the mail with a frame for me to, he told me ahead of time, you can frame this in your office. <laughs> so there was always a little bit of rivalry that took place. And, uh, but no, he was a, he was a principal a couple years before I was, and then he was a superintendent before I was. What are, uh, what are superintendents doing right now, sort of in the summer? What, what sort of goes on, uh, you know, students aren't there, but you guys go to work each day. Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that, Jason, because I think there's this perception when there's no kids in the building that nothing happens. Um, well, you know, staffing is the big thing. We've had, you have a few resignations through the summer. There's a lot of mobility. You know, the board me- board meetings still happen. You have to prepare for those. We have a budget that uh, has to be prepared and is due. Um, and uh, that has to be presented a month ahead of time. Um, there's a lot of um, adjustments that have to happen in the summer. The custodians are there. Usually projects happen in the buildings that time of year, and uh, you're readjusting. Every day is different. Uh, the only thing that really changes is you don't have uh, as much parent and student contact because they're not in the building. But to prepare for registration for the next year, to prepare for the finances, the class lists, um, you know, any reductions that take place, all of those things have to happen on a daily basis. And then once the school year starts, how, how do sort of things change? Yeah, the, of course, uh, you know, the buses start to roll and uh, the classrooms fill up and all of a sudden there's, there's a little shift in, in where you're needed. 
Um, but, it, but really, you know, you get into education as a teacher and you get into it to work with kids. And when you get into administration and then you get into the superintendency, um, you get a little bit removed from the classroom and it's a constant struggle to be put back in there. And, and so I have to make a conscious decision to be out when the, when the bus is unloaded and to, to figure out, you know, um, it, when this first grader loses his backpack, you got to mm-hmm. be out in a small town. You're out there and you're helping him out. And, you mm-hmm. know, you have a parent that is trying to figure out registration or, or, you know, I had a phone call today about a residency issue. Are we in, what school district are we in? How can we petition in, petition out, those sorts of things. So, you know, it's all over the board. And I've had different uh, people do their interim internships with me and, uh, you know, certain things, everything from curriculum to uh, the finance. It's all over the board. You don't know what's going to hit that day. And you take it as, as you can. And you have long-term deadlines that you have to hit. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're coming up to uh, about 30 minutes now. We've had a good conversation here. Uh, thank you very much uh, for uh, taking some time to talk to me and uh Hopefully, we'll uh, get some good news. Uh, state funds will come through. And uh, any last predictions? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's kind of hard for me to predict. I don't know. Nothing in the past has been predictable. It's, yeah. You know, I'm probably 0% right now on predictions, so I don't want to do that. But I do want to say thank you very much for having me. Um, it's really nice to be able to just sit down and, and talk openly about the issues, talk about, uh, you know, my day and how things are going. And I, I appreciate the efforts that you've put out there to make sure that the the, the news that's put out there is truthful and it's accurate and it means a lot. So thank you very much, Jason. Thank you.